This podcast contains potentially adult language, adult themes, definitely drinking, and possibly sexual context. Listener discretion is advised. Okay, Drinking with Authors, literary precepts, episode, rapid fire questions. I'm your host, Erica Lance. With me today is J.M. Piquette. And our guest is Dan Wells. What? What were you going to say? I said hi. Oh, you said I wasn't going to say anything more interesting than that. I'm waiting for the rapid fire questions. Well, we're going to get to that. We have to talk about what we're drinking so people can drink oh, along. Okay. That's going to be super exciting for the other two people about to talk. I'm still drinking breakfast stout, which is actually a double chocolate. I don't know how they determine how much chocolate's to be double chocolate. Um, oatmeal coffee, coffee stout. It's a weird thing I just now realized. Now I want to know how they go. You know what? This is one layer of chocolate. It technically counts as double if we put this much more. Maybe it means that there's two kinds of chocolate. Because that's typically double chocolate brownies means that they have like fudge or chocolate chips in them or something. Because then you're getting two kinds of it. So maybe that's what it is. Or is it the percentage of chocolate? Because they do cacao by like percent, right? Cacao. That Maybe reminds me of the like pork a lady special kind of chocolate. There's normal chocolate that all of us have been eating our whole lives, but yeah. double chocolate is like this special, like outer space chocolate that That's... only you have access to. I wonder if your dice have touched that. They might have. This says it has two types of coffee in it, though. Mm-hmm. Oh, it does say it has two bitter and imported chocolates. You, you are right. It. There you go. It says on the two label. chocolates, two coffees. And oatmeal? Has, this is my favorite line, actually. It says it has cinnamon-colored mead that goes forever. It literally says cinnamon-colored mead that goes forever. Wonderful. Okay. Okay. Um, with me today, that reminds me of, actually, we were reading a book yesterday's. I, we, I like to dramatically read the little blurbs inside books. She's laughing at me. And one of them was <laughs> this fantasy-based story very intense magic wielding and then it literally said and blah a gorgeous guy it literally said a gorgeous guy and i was like that i'm the best the editor could do a gorgeous guy a gorgeous this guy. isn't why is it okay well it's very important I'm glad yeah. i was able to appear in that book yes <laughs> yeah it was it was like a gorgeous guy dan wells whoa he's in this book what? Mm-hmm. how awkward i'm interviewing him tomorrow that's weird and yet symbiotic okay jen what are you drinking to annoy the audience water yeah okay cool oh. dan what are all your fans gonna drink i'm also drinking water you can tell <laughs> i've drunk this much so far during the the earlier part of the podcast yes the the before episodes okay so literary briefs, rapid fire questions. I actually already know this from cyberstalking you, but what is your favorite book of all time? Dune by Frank Herbert, hands down. Not what the movie, the it? miniseries adaptation. Uh, yeah, I'm really excited about the new movie coming out. Uh, I was only kind of a fan of the miniseries way back in the ten years ago or whenever that was. Uh, I actually love the 80s movie, though, with, like, Patrick Stewart and, and everybody in it. Uh, oh, I, I actually love that movie, not because it's anything like the book, but the movie was actually semi-revolutionary at the time. 
Mm-hmm. Right? He feels like Flash Gordon. Yeah. You love Flash Gordon. I Jeff. love Flash Gordon in my soul. Yeah. <laughs> okay. What is your least favorite book of all time? Oh, uh, that is probably going to be My Antonia by Willa Cather. That book can just go and uh, die in a hole somewhere. Um, Ethan Frome, <laughs> a separate piece. All that garbage that you're required to read in high school, just absolutely terrible. You know what? No, I just want to say part of my reason why I don't read horror today and I want happy endings is because I read all of those like tragic books and I keep like I teach literature now and I have students mm-hmm. who are like, can't we read something happy? I was like, if it's not about death and it's not about sex, which is the rest of literature, then no one cares. Like happy endings. We, we read them. We don't <laughs> study them. So I, in life, like I spent so much of my life reading these like tragic horror, you know, Ethan Frome and everybody dies. Everybody always dies and it's awful. And I was like, I just want something light and fluffy where everybody lives. Thank you. Yeah. Now, now, and I, and I am like, I am a fan of a lot of classic literature. Mm -hmm. Um, I, uh, both in high school and in college, I did extensive uh, study of Russian literature. I've read everything Dostoevsky ever wrote. Um, I really love all of that. In fact, when uh, I'm Not a Serial Killer was made into a movie, uh, the reason that I initially said yes to that contract was the director wrote me uh, a letter personally, rather than going through my uh, agent. And he wrote me like this five-page letter talking about how my book reminded him of Russian literature. And I'm like, me too, but no one else has ever said that. And so we bonded over that like love of the secret agent or whatever. And uh, that's kind of how we got together. So I do love a lot of kind of big classy nerd books, just not my Antonia. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I, I have to say, it's not required, at least in Florida high schools anymore, there's not a required reading list. It's just required that you read a book and you do a book report on it. Well, like there's not a, you have to, there really isn't. It depends um, on where you go to school. You still read Les Mis, you still read Shakespeare, you still, you read A Tale of Two Cities, you read John Steinbeck. Like the list is I still- I tell you, my now graduated 20 something children did not have to read any of that. You have 20 something children? I know I look fabulous, don't I? Yes, my son is twenty-four and my daughter is twenty-two. In their twenties. In their twenties. My daughter is twenty-two and she's a combat medic in the army. Nice. So yeah, no, I'm 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 very that's one thing if I joke about anything, I'm like the one thing I managed to accomplish writer as I have two brilliant little children. They're not little, my son's six foot five, it's fine. Um (laughs) but I read To Kill a Mockingbird in school and it was one of my favorite books in Lord of the Flies. I love those books. Some of the books I I cannot stand Jane Austen. I I everybody who listens to this podcast already fucking knows that I fucking hate Jane Austen. You know, Jane Austen writes better movie treatments than books. Um, and like, I got to give her credit. You know, I think that there is, uh, I, I always talk about the, the difference between writing and storytelling. And they're two different skills. And some authors are good at both of them. And some authors are only good at one of them. Uh, I think she's a fantastic storyteller. And I don't necessarily enjoy any of her books, but I friggin' love the movies made from her books. Her Just style. absolutely. She's got dialogue that's really snappy. Mm-hmm. Like, she nails it. 
I, I know that's true. No, and that's true. Rights because all the women fucking do needlepoint. I could give a shit talking about fucking needlepoint but ever again. The, but that's the time period. Okay, you know what? I'm not going to argue with you about this again. Okay, again, not arguing with you about this. Rapid fire questions. What kind of writer are you? Are you a pantser? Are you a plotter? Are you a planter? What do you? How do you write? Uh, I do both. I write extensive outlines, scene by scene, before I start writing. I need to know exactly what's going to happen at every stage, and then I ignore that outline and I write whatever I want. But I have to do the outline first. See, I'm a pantser. I'm like a solid pantser. I will write down little like kind of ideas, not even outlines, like one sentence. I tease people about this. I have my outline here of the last book I put out actually. And oh, I took it away, but here's an example. This is the follow-up. It's just a list of one, less than one sentence things on my book because I can't, I can't outline because it. I basically consider it a waste of time. Jen, on the other hand. You made me outline and it helped. So. (laughs) Well, the author has their own style, right? And their own needs. And it's not so much that there are two kinds of writers. There's a full spectrum from one end to the other. And we all just sit somewhere in it. And it's every story too has develops yeah. differently. So I have, I have a question. How how do you write? Are you on your phone? Are you on the computer? Do you do you longhand? Are you your, blackberrying your yeah? Story? What's your method? I write uh, pretty much everything on this device right here, this iPad, using this old broken Bluetooth keyboard. Are you kidding um, me? There you go. See, but I'm missing Walmart. A, Thank you. A function key. <laughs> yeah. Um, everything. And uh, I, I now have a, uh, I, I hate writing on laptops because I hate laptop keyboards, which is funny because they're not necessarily any better than this, uh, but I just hate them. But I finally have, I, I've rearranged my entire desk because I had like massive shoulder problems that were caused by bad posture. So I now have like a standing desk that can go up and down and I have a separate ergonomic keyboard and all this stuff. And I still end up going back to that stupid little Bluetooth thing in my iPad. And follow up, uh, when do you write? Do you write, are you a morning person? Do you devote certain hours? Do you wait till you're inspired? Are you alone? Do you play music? What's your- uh, That's a very good question. Um, I, I was way too far into my career before I decided to pay close attention to when I get my best writing done. Uh, but now that I have, you know, I, 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 because I am full-time as a writer, I have the luxury of figuring that out. And I've realized that if I write in the afternoon, if I'm able to sit down from two to about seven, that is the absolute golden hour for me. And I can get as much writing done in that block as I could trying to do the entire day. Like, and so I will spend the mornings doing other stuff. Maybe that's the day for revision or editing or business emails or something like that. And then the afternoon is writing. And I usually don't get the full block from two to seven. It's, it's more likely going to be two to five. Uh, but that's, that's when I write and that's when I get the best work done. And how many words per hour do you do on average? Um, well, there are two answers to that question. Uh, because what I have found is that uh, if I work all day straight through, I can usually get about 2,000, maybe 2,500 words written. 
if I stop and play video games for an hour or two in the middle of the day, I can get four or 5,000 words written. Okay. So, so it's what inspiring. Do you, do you like to play? Currently, I'm in the middle of Borderlands on the downloadable content. I'm in Creek's brain. For those that watch Borderlands 3, they know what I'm talking about. What video games do you play? Also, I started playing the new Baldur's Gate. Um, Ooh, is it good? Yeah, it is actually, I'm actually impressed with how they did it and how they actually made the skills work when they say you can do X. They actually applied that. Because I hate it when video games are like, you have this skill, but then nothing really fucking changes for anybody, right? Yeah. But yeah, it's actually pretty good. That's good. I uh, loved the old ones, and this one looks cool. Uh, I haven't pulled the trigger on it yet, though. Uh, I'm really looking forward to Cyberpunk, assuming it ever comes out. Uh, I, and I, I want to try Baldur's Gate 3. But for the most part right now, I am uh, super into esports. So uh, I play a lot of League of Legends. I play Teamfight Tactics. I play Overwatch. Um, I am more of a watcher of those games than a player of those games. Uh, I the nerd who got up at four in the morning to watch the league of legends world championships in China a couple weeks ago. So that's me. I also, uh, I'm a huge star Trek nerd. And so I play star Trek online. I just bought star Trek bridge crew. Cause I think it looks awesome, but it is required. You need friends who also have this weird, obscure game to play it with you. So I don't have anyone to play it with, but. Well, you know, it's interesting. I played the original star Trek role-playing game. I was not a huge fan because I felt like it was not set up really correctly for adventures. Star Wars is better. What? The Star Wars RPG was better. It was way better. Like the old West End Games one? That's a fantastic RPG. I love that one. Although Jedi, they unbalanced a little bit. You're just mad because you never played the other side. I didn't. The other side. She didn't play the other side. She was always like, I'm going to be a goody two-shoes. My favorite part, though, is the first introduction of her character. She fumbled and fell off a stage. So it was pretty awesome. Fine. (laughs) (laughs) And she wonders why nobody listens to her. Um, uh, So were you a big player of the old games like Gauntlet and stuff like that? Are you a huge fan of those? Forgotten Realms? Gauntlet, you know, I played Gauntlet, but not as much as people who played it a lot. Um, I mean, we had a Nintendo back when that was the thing. Um, and I played a lot of Tetris and I played a lot of Final Fantasy. Uh, but in general, I have never really been a console gamer. I'm all PC. So World a lot World of that uh, older stuff, you know, even by the time I got to junior high, I was mostly done because my grandma got us that Nintendo and then my parents could never afford to get the later generations of the, the current game systems. So I just never never stayed up with them so did you play world of warcraft uh yeah when that when that came out um the thing is i got married much younger than most of my friends and so when they were all playing world of warcraft or diablo 2 or whatever for hours a night every day of the week i would start with them and we'd be like okay we're gonna start we're gonna play world of warcraft level one characters go and then we would play for four hours that night and it would be great and then i wouldn't be able to play again until the following weekend at which point you know brandon sanderson has already got like a level 35 character and i can't play with him anymore so he that was my experience with wow no i understand <laughs> out leveled by my single friends yeah i played everquest when it was still in beta i sold many everquest character i was that person where i sold oh, my characters really? online 
was that nerd. Nice. So, yeah, okay. I didn't get into EverQuest, uh, but I play Guild Wars 2 all oh. the time. That's my MMO of choice is Guild Wars 2. What's your favorite Star Trek movie? Galaxy Quest. That is my favorite Star Trek movie. Oh my gosh. I love that movie. Oh, so obsessed with that movie. Galaxy um, Quest, Undiscovered Country, Wrath of Khan. I don't know what I would put next. Yeah, Maybe see, First I, Contact. You're two and three. I flipped the other way, but yes, I agree with you. Wrath yeah. of Khan is just, what is Ricardo Montalban? I'm like, yeah. You can't. And I mean the old Wrath of Khan, not the new, whatever they called the Wrath of Khan. Oh, that one was so bad. Star Trek Into Darkness. That's the worst Star Trek movie. That's worse than motion picture, in my opinion. But the third one, Star Trek Beyond, uh, that's a top five for me. Easy. I'd probably put it at number five right after First Contact. So you play role-playing games, and then we're going to go back to writing. What is your favorite character to play in, say, D&D? Like character class? Yeah, uh, I don't know. <laughs> are you are you ranged or melee? What do you what do you? Um, I am a pet class guy, so either a druid or a ranger. Uh, whenever I play D anD D, I will be whichever one gives me a pet. Okay. See, I'm a rogue. Understandably, because that means I get to stab people in the back. Jen, <laughs> on the other hand, is the good upstanding person that gets turned into like a fucking vampire. Her entire. So she has a recent novel series that has four books, but three and then an addendum is based on a role-playing game that we did. Jen? That I played with you and we used to do pool effects. I don't know if you, that, that's probably our house turn, but you rolled a, a percentile and you would get a random quirk and my oh. character rolled vampirism. So that, and then that's where the whole story came from. I was like, oh, that's right. cool. So. Yeah, so she wrote four books about it, and then I was reading the book, and I'm reading the character, this one character, it's an elven cleric, and I'm like, she's a bitch. She's such a bitch, I'm like reading it, and then I'm like, wait a minute, is this fucking me? Is this me? <laughs> and yep. she's like, yeah, and then I was like, oh, this is actually accurate, this fucking sucks. <laughs> I, I am a big proponent of uh, using role-playing games to uh, come up with stories. And so adapting one into a book, I think is fantastic. I'm running a Dresden Files game right now that I would love to, you know, file off all the Dresden-esque serial numbers and do my own urban fantasy just because the plot that we've got going uh, is so great. So when you say you'd love to do it, why don't you just do it? You're a writer. You're brilliant. Let's do it. I got too many ideas. That's the problem. I need to write all this other stuff first. So Val is laughing in the background. So this is what I told her. When we started the publishing company, one of the problems Val had is she would get, I called it shiny objected. She would go down these paths because she'd have all these ideas. Mm -hmm. And I literally told her, I'm like, okay, pull up Google Sheets, make a sheet right now. Here are the categories on the top, like name, all these things. And I said, every time you get one of these brilliant ideas, I want you to go write it on the fucking sheet and finish what you're doing. Yeah. I'm the taskmaster of the group in case that doesn't Good. come very You have often. to do that. You can't just chase every new exciting shiny thing or you'll never finish anything. See, Val. Um, and that was my point. So she'll come to me and she'll be like, I have this thing. I'm like, did you put it on the sheet? 
Because I don't want to hear about it. Put it on the fucking sheet. She did it this morning to me. I did. I did it this morning to her. She's like, I have this idea. And I'm like, I don't give a shit. Put it on the sheet. Finish your damn story. Nobody's interested. <laughs> okay. So when you, um, Jen kind of asked, but do you listen to music? Like Jen loves to pull up the like eight hours of epic fantasy music from Lord of the Rings or other crap that she likes to listen to. Do you, how, do you listen to music? Does it need to be quiet? How does it go for you? Uh, it depends on what I'm writing. I will try to uh, pick music that is appropriate to the story I'm telling. And back when I was writing the serial killer novels, I would actually curate specific playlists and specific theme songs. Like I can still tell you the theme song of all six John Cleaver books. And I don't do that anymore, uh, but I will you know, kind of choose a genre and say, okay, well, I'm writing this, I am going to listen to this kind of music just to get myself into the right headspace. For the most part, those don't have words or they don't have words that I understand. So like when I wrote my cyberpunk series, that was all K-pop. Uh, and so I don't know what they're saying. And so it doesn't matter that there's words, but if there are words that I know, like in a language I speak, then it distracts me from my writing. Well, you, so have you published these? The the playlists? Yeah. Uh, some Sometimes. Uh, so for example, with Partials, which was my YA dystopia, um, one of the kind of minor side notes in that book is that it's post-apocalyptic. And so they uh, one of the things they find as they go around kind of scavenging for supplies are old music players, iPods and stuff. And uh, they listen to them and they like in, in, in my head, they were all monogrammed or they were all labeled or something like they knew who they belonged to. And so they aren't listening to an album and they're not listening to a generic playlist. They're listening to a person as expressed through music. And I, that was just kind of thrown in as a fun detail of how would these people, you know, they've got a big basket full of iPods that they just plug in and, and play someone's personal library uh, and that for whatever reason really fired up a lot of imaginations and so fans loved it and the publisher did like a giveaway where they had a iPod that I would put I think it was 12 or 15 songs on that were like this is me as expressed musically installed onto this iPod and then you can win it in a thing and so that's the only playlist I've put out uh, but uh I, I have absolutely in interviews and stuff talked about the, the theme songs. Do you want to hear the theme songs? Oh, yes, because I actually want you to Spotify this playlist for the I'm not a serial killer. I'm just saying that I may continue to run into you talking about this, but go ahead and do it. Okay, yeah. No pressure. Um, I actually uh, did put together a serial killer playlist at some point, but uh, I am not a serial killer. That is Everlong by the Foo Fighters, but specifically the acoustic version. Oh, wow. Um, it is also Mad World by uh, What's His Bucket. So, oh, yeah. Yes. Those were the song two. Ever. In fact, in fact, it gets even more specific than that. There was a very specific AVI that was acoustic everlong put over a bunch of anime from uh, Fooly Cooly, which was is my favorite anime series. Yeah. Uh, and I would watch that video. I would sit down to write, listen to Mad World watch that video and then go. 
and I think that has a lot to do with the tone that the book captured was this very kind of lost wistful kind of thing um which I think is part of why the book is successful because you don't expect the horror story about a teenage sociopath hunting monsters to really mostly be a sad story about a boy without a father, but that's what it is. Well, and a boy uh, who likes two, a girl, I love that undertone of that, is his relationship. I'm just saying the relationship he <laughs> puts into perspective with the girls is amazing to me. How you did that was truly a work of art, honestly. In well, my thank mind. you very much. Yeah, because you're taking somebody who really knows that they're fucked up in societal terms, and yet this person to him is somebody he so desperately wants to be able to interact with for that. And anyway, that's okay. Anyway. So now, now that you've mentioned the girls, I have to ask because I get crap from readers all the time because at the end of book six, he does not end up with the girl they want him to end up with. I think that's so, actually, I thought it was, me personally, and I'm that, that fan, I thought it was brilliant because there is a barrier. Like, he has this desperation. He has this love of this. I love the last book where that he, where he's interacting with all the personalities and he has to realize he's interacting with the different personalities. Like, well, I shouldn't say personalities, the different people, yeah. not giving more than that away. Mm -hmm. um, hopefully. Uh and I love because his character, and this is what I think is truly like, this is why I enjoy the Hunger Games too. Katniss is broken. I actually hate her as a character. I do not enjoy her as a character. I've talked about this, but I love her as a character because she's so fucked up. She's just fucked up. And your lead character has that too, is he's, he's messed up. He can't quite get to that level in my mind this is a fan mind right nerd mind mm -hmm. um that he can completely function he can't completely function like i love how you describe how he's trying to analyze how to approach situations because you can tell he's like this is not going to go well this is not going to go well when i go to do this so there are these things like what would a normal person do let me pull up the checklist go mm -hmm. down the checklist of the things a normal person would do to get through this situation. And I think that's what makes him a little different than, you know, all of your sociopathic fans is that he's very aware that he's this bad and he's trying to do these social norms and not go down the path that you can go down if you're a sociopath, right? And yeah. I love that. I love that he didn't because again, I'm also a huge fan of, it doesn't always tie up with a fucking bow. Like it just doesn't. Yeah. Well, good. I'm, I'm glad to hear that. Like book five, and again, we'll leave spoilers out of this, but the entire point of book five is to say, look, he would be so bad if they got together. This should never happen. This can't happen. He has to say goodbye. Uh, and then book six is about other things and other people. And everyone's like, what? And it's because people want that bow tied on it. Just because he's known her forever doesn't mean that they would be good for each other or that they need to get together in the end, so. No, I, I actually thought that was truly brilliant because to your point, the I think he's in love with the idea of it. Mm -hmm. but the practicality doesn't work because he can't function that way. He can't function for long relationships 
because he constantly, you have to be an actor almost to function in these relationships. And that doesn't have any sustainability. Yeah. Anyway. Awesome. Okay. Soundtrack. Continue. Book two. Okay. Uh, book two. Shoot. Now I can't remember what book two was. Oh. <laughs> Music. Book three. Um, book three, there is a Bob Dylan song called Don't Think Twice. And Kesha, of all people, kind of dance floor pop Kesha, she did, she did an acoustic version of that, which she recorded in a hotel room. And by the end of it, she is sobbing. And it is the absolute perfect song for, uh, for book three. So Don't Think Twice by Kesha. Um, I'm writing that down because I actually... Kesha's timber, for whatever reason, inspires so much joy in me, and it probably shouldn't, but I fucking She's love great. Her. She's one of my favorite artists right now. Um, I cannot, for the life of me, remember what book two was, and it is killing me. That's fine. We're on to book four. Come back to book two. Okay. Book four actually has two. Uh, Razor by the Foo Fighters. There's a lot of Foo Fighters. Uh, and then also The Sharpest Lives by My Chemical Romance so those are the two and it's because those are the two time two sides of the coin razor by foo fighters is very much about not acting it is about waiting and wanting to do something and never getting to do it and then sharpest lives is about just full bore pedal to the metal all gas no brakes we're gonna we're gonna go through and do this and so the two of them together fit really well for me for book four. Uh, book five is actually America by Simon and Garfunkel. Oh. And to a lesser extent, um, Hard Rain by Bob Dylan. Yet another Bob Dylan song. Um, wait, Hard Rain? Yeah. Um, in fact, for a long time, the, the working title for book five was Six Crooked Highways, which is a, a line that I stole from Hard Rain. Um, book six is actually a song that only exists in my head. So um, uh, what is it? It's Moody Blues. Uh, I know you're out there somewhere. No, not that one. Um, in Your Wildest Dreams. That's what it is by the Moody Blues. But Everybody like- is writing just scratch yeah. that out. And so, then what, what, I have, what I have come up with in my head is that Gary Jules from Mad World does that same slow, sad treatment to In Your Wildest Dreams by the Moody Blues. And that's the theme song for book six. Um, to a lesser extent, um, Far Away So Close uh, by U2. But again, acoustic. I'm a big fan of acoustic songs, um, obviously. So hang on. I've got my playlist here. I'm going to look up book four and I'm going to kick myself when I see what it is because it should have been obvious. And I I'm need you to post these. Um, Will you promise me to post these when we, because I want to reference it on this show. Well, po post them where is the problem. I don't, you, I read your website. Your website oh. is accessible. You could post your playlist. I could post them on there, huh? I, I yeah. could do a, I could do a YouTube video. Uh, okay. Book two is uh, Tear You Apart by She Wants Revenge. Okay. Oh my God. Okay. <laughs> I fucking love right? that band. I know that band. Yes, uh, I am a big fan of She Wants Revenge. That whole like Interpol uh, style, uh, I love that. 
I've got a whole Pandora station built around that. Uh, but that song in particular, uh, Tear You Apart, because it is it is about this kind of puppy love, high school crush thing, and then you get to the chorus and it's, I'm going to, you know, tear mess you apart. destroy yeah. you because I love you and I'm obsessed, <laughs> obsessed with you so much, so. You know, it's interesting you say that, and it's a really interesting line between love and obsession. Like, people say, you know, love and hate, but love and obsession, there is a really fucking little gray area right in between that situation that people don't realize. Okay. Can I ask um, your top three favorite songs? Top three favorite songs of all time. Of all time. Uh, Everlong by the Foo Fighters. Hands down, no question. Two by Shakira, which is on her Donde Están Los Ladrones album. Okay. Um, that is my favorite album. If I had to pick one album that is my favorite of all time, it would be uh, Shakira's second album. Yeah, that was my uh, next question. And uh, third song, A Day in the Life by the Beatles. Oh. oh. That's a you know, it's funny that your website, you list the Beatles as your favorite artist, but listening to everything you set just for cyber stalking purposes. Yeah. Stop laughing at me, Valerie. <laughs> Shut up. Um, is most of what you listed is like Foo Fighters and stuff and, you know, these other things, but you list the Beatles. Why do you list the Beatles as your number one band? Uh, the simplest answer and best answer to that question is because I put that bio together 12 years ago. Um, and That's I am really a different day. person now. Years. But that said... Um, I love the Beatles. I'm a big fan of the Beatles. And I think that uh, I still have a tendency to default to them. Uh, I grew up with them. You know, I, I uh, was born in 77, uh, grew up in the 80s and 90s and never listened to currently popular music. I always listened to oldies. And so I grew up on 50s and 60s stuff. And uh, it wasn't until college that I went back and started listening to grunge and was like, what the hell have I been missing out on and became like a massive fan of Pearl Jam and Smashing Pumpkins. Uh, if I had to pick a favorite band working today, it would be Silver Sun Pickups who are definitely a, you know, in that same descended from Smashing Pumpkins kind of thing. Uh, but at the same time, I listen to K-pop so much. Uh, and I could talk about K-pop for the next hour if you want. Um, I'm a huge fan I, that's of Mama Moo. I'm a hard pass on that because <laughs> unlike Val, Jen, and Vanessa, all the people you've introduced their co-hosts to the show, not a fan. Well, I, you're missing I, out. I, I and I'm it. sure I'm missing horrible things, but it's funny you say these bands because me and Jen were talking last night as we started this writer's retreat. Me and Jen for about... I want to say five years, five years, Jeff, we went to so many fucking concerts and we mm. saw the Silver Sun pickups. We saw all the, all the bands you They mentioned. are so good live. Mm-hmm. Yes. And it's, to me, it's always impressive because I also grew up, I was born in 1973. I actually was at the Chinese man theater for opening day of star Wars. Oh, wow. I was three years old. I had a little ladybug dress on. I have pictures of it. And I remember, and I remember because the Chinese Man Theater was very like old school theater, big curtains that were drawn aside like the whole nine yards. And I remember the music starting. I also remember Chewbacca, R2-D2, C-3PO. They had all these stars out there because 
nobody fucking understood this movie. Like it came out and everybody's like, oh my God, Star Wars. I'm like, no, you don't understand. When it debuted, everybody was like, what the fuck are you talking about? Mm -hmm. Like nobody understood this movie at all. All these people were out there and you could interact with them. It's Seven Samurai in space. I'm just saying like nobody kind of got the concept of it when it was initially released. Everybody treats it like it was this big deal and it wasn't. A big deal. A yeah. lot of people in the industry were like, "What?" There, there was uh, who was I reading yesterday, um, making a big case for the for the how the extended universe and the this kind of small group of core fans that kept producing Star Wars fiction is what made Star Wars into the big cultural thing that it is today. Because you're right, you know, we had those three movies, boom, 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 and they were big, but then they started to fall apart. Kenner gave up the merchandise license for the action figures in like 86 because it was not making any money. Nobody cared about Star Wars for a long time. And it was the fiction, the tie-in writers, the Alan Dean Fosters and the Kevin J. Andersons that kept it alive. They did, everybody laughs, but the Christmas specials, all the, they showed up on all these shows trying to be this cool, it's so fucking horrible when you watch it stuff. And it's interesting because you know, being, I was born in 1973. I remember all of this stuff. I remember like, cause you know, now being a nerd is like this epically cool thing. Like mm-hmm. everybody's a nerd and you're cool if you're a nerd. And I was like, we have street cred. Cause we were a nerd when we were shoved into fucking lockers. Like when it wasn't yeah. a cool thing to be a nerd, when we knew all of the Star Trek episodes and could it, it you know, you know, can you form some pseudo rep? rudimentary lave and we knew what they were talking about people like i remember my boyfriend saw that and i'm like do you understand what that is and he's like no and i'm like let me explain this episode (laughs) and then explaining it i felt even dumber than i did to begin with so um, yeah nerd stuff has that it's it's interesting now that star wars and the mandalorian and all of that stuff is so huge in the world for all of us that were like this was like our bread and butter at the time um, it was. I'm recording a podcast. Just FYI. <laughs> yes, I can hear you out loud. Yeah, person in the background. Yeah, Val. <laughs> I was like, can you guys be quiet for two hours? And they're like, yeah, I got this. Apparently Easy. not. Uh, I do, since we're talking about street cred, okay. I need to throw in that I also saw, not at the Man Theater, but I did see Star Wars first run, 77, in the theater. I was like three months old, but they did take me in and I did see it. That so, counts. Yeah. Because Apparently I, I hated R2-D2 and they kept having to take me out into the lobby because the beeps uh, would freak me out. But I saw Jedi in the theater with my father who started yelling at the end that the Emperor should throw him in the water because that was my dad at the very end when he picks up Darth Vader and my dad was like, throw him in the water. And the woman behind him was very angry at my father yelling at the screen and was like, they're in outer space. There isn't any water. So that's what I remember from Empire or uh, Jedi, Return of the Jedi. It was the very you know what's film. interesting is I saw Wrath of Khan in the theaters and had such a problem. I actually put cotton balls in my ears for months because I was afraid those little earwig things oh, yeah. get in my ears. Like this was a legitimate fear as a child that I had 
was you know the the, the one that killed me was E.T. Oh, because my grandmother took me to see E.T. before I started uh, school, kindergarten or whatever, because it was right then, like 82, 83, whenever it came out. Um, but my grandma has never been on time to anything in her life. And so we got there after all the early scenes that establish how wonderful he is. We literally walked into the theater during the scene where Elliot thinks there's a monster in the shed. And it's like he throws a ball in and the ball gets thrown back out and then he screams and runs away. And so it was a horror movie to me because I missed those early establishing scenes and it was just, here's the creepy monster from the shed. Why did he let it in the house? Uh, and I was I slept in my parents' floor for the next seven months because E.T. was going to come through the window and get me. That, legitimately, <laughs> they did not make that a warm and fuzzy character. Not I'm just going to say... Like some of the stuff, don't get me started on Ewoks. I have a question for you. Do you have any bad habits as a writer that you're aware of? Uh, yes, I what, definitely do. What are your um, bad habits? I have a strong tendency to make um, most of my characters have my vocabulary. And I have to go back through and revision and change it. And kind of... So, so that different characters talk in different ways because it's very easy to just fall into my voice. Uh, in a similar vein, the funny character, quote unquote, of every book has my sense of humor and I have to change that and make it different so that not every book sounds like, oh, this is just Dan telling jokes. Uh, it needs to sound like Marcus telling jokes or whoever it is, so. It, you know, it's interesting because I think it's, as I talk to more and more writers on the podcast, I find that I feel like a lot of times our quirks evolve into new quirks. Like you become aware of the first quirk and you're like, okay, I'm going to stop doing that. And then you do something totally new and different that the mm -hmm. editor is like, are you drunk? Which is yes for me most of the time. <laughs> but, you know, like, like what well, one quirk that I finally grew out of uh, for a long time, the villain characters in every book that I would write would be uh, like a 50 or 60 year old woman who was very skinny and very mean to everyone. And uh, after I'd done that three times, I stopped and said, why? I, I asked my wife, well, why am I doing this? And she's like, because you hated that boss at your old job. And I'm like, oh, yeah, you're right. I've just put her into three different books without realizing that I was doing it. You need to go back and change the dedication of those books. <laughs> I need to take out the, you know, any similarity to persons living or dead is completely coincidental. And just be like, any similarity of persons are dead, except for this particular character is completely coincidental. Oh my gosh, that's amazing. Okay. Um, rapid fire. Jen, do you have another rapid fire question? Mm, I think I got, I think I nailed mine. You nailed you your. One. I nailed mine. You already know I don't have any more. I had three, and I'm lucky to get past three on any situation. You didn't, you didn't ask him advice for other writers. Oh, I didn't ask that. Damn, Mr. Yes. Rose, if we're going to be formal, what is advice you have for other writers? What advice? Um, I typically give three pieces of advice. Here they are. Number one, Go listen to my podcast because anything I could say here, I've already said more intelligently on that show. So there you go. I agree with you. And Vanessa in the background was like, preach. So that's fine. Okay, that happened. Uh, number two, 
um, you have to write and then you have to stop writing. Uh, don't just endlessly revise something, which leads us into number three. And I think this is the most important one. Allow yourself to write a bad book or a bad short story or a bad poem or whatever it is that you're writing, especially if this is the first thing you've ever done. But even later on, we have this weird tendency in the fiction writing community to expect our first effort to be perfect. And that's because we've been reading books all our lives. And we're like, I am going to write something as good as The Lord of the Rings or as good as The Hero and the Crown. Whatever book it is that got you excited about writing, you want to recreate that experience for other people. And you're not going to on your first time. It's never going to happen. And we have a couple of really big counter examples like JK Rowling or Christopher Paolini. And if your plan is to emulate their success, you literally have a better chance of winning the lottery. So you have to allow yourself to write a bad book. You have to give up this preciousness that keeps you endlessly revising something and say, you know what, I'm gonna write this and it's gonna be bad. And that's okay because your first book isn't going to sell. I'll tell you right now, your first book is terrible. Probably your second, third books are also terrible. For me, it took six before I fun finally wrote something good. And that's fine because the job of the first book is not to sell. That first book's job is to teach you how to write your second book. And then your second book will teach you how to write your third book. And, you know, I, I like to compare this to Ender's Game when you remember the battle school in Ender's Game and, and how they were all so steeped in perfection and competition until finally towards the end, Bean stands up in the cafeteria and he says, this is killing us. We have to give up this obsession with doing perfect games and planning perfect strategies because it's stagnating us. We need to just allow ourselves to lose and try new stupid things. And so that's what I want you to do. Allow yourself to write a bad book. Try something you've never tried before. Do something that you know is going to fail, but you will learn from that experience. And that is what's going to help you down the line to get better and better and to know more and more about your own writing style and about your own skills. I love that because Ender's Game is actually my favorite book of all time. There you go. Orson Scott Card. I love, I couldn't put that book down when I started reading it. I also read The Veil of the Vols straight through and didn't put that down either by Pierce Anthony, who, by the way, after COVID is over, has agreed to be on this podcast. He can't figure out technology, so I need to go to him. Okay. <laughs> He's ridiculous. I appreciate you being on this podcast. You have been amazing. I can't wait to do my role-playing game. Well, I am excited for it. Thank you so much for inviting me onto the show. This was a lot of fun. Absolutely. I do so many interviews that are just like the same five questions over and over again. And it's a delight to just sit down and have a conversation with interesting people. So thank you to both of you. This was a lot of fun. Oh, you are thoroughly welcome. And I love doing that. I agree. I think that we, we can, you're way more famous than both of us are combined right now. But um, I think it, it's really annoying when you get asked the same five questions. And I think it's important to get to try to know some of the writer behind the mystique. I, I'm super nerding out. You have no idea when I hang up this thing, I'm gonna go into total nerdville with all these girls at my writer's retreat here. But 
perfectly fine. Nobody will see it. It's okay. It's not on recording. Um, so thank you so much for being on the podcast. Um, Larry Briefs, if people want to find you, we talked about this. Your website is the number one place you recommend, but you're that also- That is probably the easiest way. We're in the process of revamping it, so it might be difficult. Uh, but uh, just remember the Dan Wells. That is my address. That is my email address. That is my website. That is my Twitter, the Dan Wells. Is there another Dan Wells that doesn't have there a There actually is. Oh, okay. uh, there is uh, a, an actor and bodybuilder in Los Angeles uh, named Dan Wells. And he is very web savvy and he got to everything first. But people tag him all the time uh, when they're trying to send messages to me. And so I've actually, I haven't met him in person, but we've talked a lot online. Uh, and I dedicated my book about cloning to him and I sent him a copy of it. <laughs> um, and, and in fact, for a long time, uh, what I don't think Google does this anymore, but they used to do this thing where uh, if you search something, um, the most popular text result would be me when you search Dan Wells, but the most popular image result was him. And so I would show up at bookstores to do signings and they're like, Dan Wells, oh, you don't look like you do online. <laughs> and it's because there's this gorgeous bodybuilder guy. Um, he was on the cover of Men's Health a while ago. And I like to keep a copy of that on my phone because there's this just ripped shirtless dude named Dan Wells. Um, <laughs> in fact, no I went precious. to church a couple of weeks after that issue of the magazine came out and someone at church was like, Dan, you... Uh, you used to look really good. And I'm like, first of all, used to, but second of all, no, that's not me. That's Dan Wells, the, the actor, not Dan Wells, the author. So Here, here's the actor formerly known as the author, Dan Wells. <laughs> there are so many girls with your picture on their wall that when they meet you in person, they're going to go. They're like, oh. wait. <laughs> yeah. I mean, look it up, look up Dan Wells men's health. And you'll be like, dang, why didn't we just talk to him for two hours? That would have been so much better. No, no it wouldn't have been because he didn't write the epic books that I'm an epic fan of. So <laughs> I don't give a shit what he looks like. I'm so much happier that this occurred. Sure, so, thank you. Thank yes. you. Yes. The DD game. We, we may need you to stream it on Twitch. I'm throwing it out there, but it may be worthy Twitch worthy to, to our DD on online for that. awesome you've been thoroughly amazing thank you so much for being on the show thank you for having me absolutely so i've been erica lance jm this has been drinking with authors literary briefs we'll see you next time